Welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. Episode 31, Herculean Effort. Last time we were together, we saw the Persians begin the retaliation against the Macedonian threat as Darius III greenlighted a naval counterstrike in the Aegean Sea, led first by Memnon and after his death, Memnon's nephew, Pharnabazus. Darius also raised an army and marched out to engage the Macedonians in a pitched battle. The king of kings got his wish and engaged in a decisive engagement against the Macedonians at the Battle of Issus. Things did not go as Darius envisioned, and the Persian army suffered a severe defeat against the Macedonian forces. Darius, forced by the crumbling of his army, retreated, leaving his campsite behind, and more importantly, leaving his entire family in the hands of Alexander. Darius was then forced to flee deeper into the Middle East, but Alexander would decide not to follow. For the Macedonians, after the victory at Issus, Alexander had the army take a respite, allowing them time to rest and recover. The seizing of the baggage train and treasury at Damascus and the Persian camp's wealth was staggering. Alexander generously lavished the spoils of war on his army, his senior officers making out like bandits. However, even the ordinary soldiers received quite the payday, as they received a bonus equal to months of pay in a single day. Alexander decided not to pursue Darius, and instead to continue down the coast of the Mediterranean. The path south led to ancient cities of Phoenicia, the cities of Byblos, Sidon, and the most famous of them all, Tyre, lay upon the coast. Beyond these cities, we have the city of Jerusalem and the province of Egypt. There were considerable military and political objectives that needed to be dealt with, and the Persian retreat clarified these objectives. The coastal cities of the Levant were the beating heart of the Persian navy, and their submission and allegiance to Alexander would cripple the Persian navy, weakening the Persian counteroffensive in the Aegean, which needed to be dealt with. Egypt was also a tempting prize. The sheer ancientness of it and its history awed many of the antiquities' foreign conquerors alike, the Persians, ancient Greeks, and later, the Romans. Egypt had also never fully accepted the Persians as their overlord, with many revolts needing to be put down, the most notable being the Egyptian revolt against Xerxes at the beginning of his reign, which delayed his invasion of Greece by almost a decade. The most recent uprising occurred under the rule of Artaxerxes II, who ruled from 405 BC to 359 BC. At the beginning of Artaxerxes' reign, Egypt revolted and asserted local autonomy, but was reincorporated into the Persian Empire in 339, after years of attempts by the Persians. It had only been six years since Egypt was forcibly returned to the Persian Empire and Egypt viewed Alexander's invasion with much interest. The Egyptians and Macedonians could work out an interesting arrangement if Alexander made his way to the ancient region. The Macedonian army marched down the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean, receiving submission from the cities along the coast. The cities of Byblos surrendered, as did the city of Sidon. Interestingly, 
Political pressure was imposed upon the king of Sidon to surrender to Alexander. And while he did so reluctantly, it was not enough to keep his throne, as he was a suspected Persian sympathizer. A new king was to be decided upon, and Alexander had left the decision to Hephaestion. An obscure royal family member in Sidon was selected. The man was called, uh, forgive my pronunciation, Abalonmus, and he was a relatively poor gardener. Alexander met the man and asked him how he had been able to endure his poverty, to which the man replied, I had nothing and therefore lacked nothing. I could only hope to be able to handle power as contentedly. And so, his confirmation was approved by Alexander. Not much is known of his reign, but we do know he had a son who inherited the kingdom after his father's death. Moving further south, Alexander now reached the city of Tyre. The city of Tyre was ancient, and it had passed its day in the sun. But still, this was the city that the colony of Carthage was created. And while Carthage had surpassed Tyre now, the two cities maintained close ties to one another. Tyre was divided into two segments, Old Tyre on the mainland and New Tyre, an island city half a mile offshore. Citizens no longer inhabited Old Tyre, and all that was left was the city's remains, stones, dirt, and temples. As Alexander and the army approached the city, the Tyrians had prepared for Alexander's arrival. Ambassadors from New Tyre, as well as the Prince of Tyre, who was in command of the city, as his father was amongst the noble hostages of the Persian fleet in the Aegean. Alexander received the Tyrian ambassadors, and initially, things went smoothly. The Tyrians promised an alliance with Macedonia, and promised to give plenty of gifts and much-needed supplies for the war effort. The Tyrians, however, had an independent streak. Alexander's arrival put the Tyrians in quite a bind. Tyre looked to use this opportunity as a way to throw off the Persian yoke, but did not want to trade one master for another. Tyre wanted to maintain their independence. Alexander asked if he could sacrifice at the Temple of Melkart in New Tyre. Melkart had long been associated with the Greek deity Heracles. Alexander's ancestor. This was another sticky situation, as allowing Alexander to sacrifice at the temple was tantamount to recognizing Alexander as their sovereign, something the Tyrians could not accept. The envoys declined Alexander's request, but offered to allow Alexander to make a sacrifice to Melkart at a temple in Old Tyre. This refusal angered Alexander, and he told the envoys to leave and beware. The island's defenses were not impregnable, and the island would become a part of the mainland if Alexander desired it to be. The Tyrian envoys returned back to the island and advised that they should surrender to Alexander. The Tyrians instead decided to fight. Alexander's lack of a navy meant that the Tyrians did not need to worry about Alexander, or so they believed. News from Carthage also strengthened Tyre's resolve, as they promised to send aid. Back on the mainland, Alexander began to cool down, 
and take a good look at the situation, realizing that taking Tyre might be quite difficult, and the army was not that enthused about the prospect of taking the island. Alexander sent envoys of his own to discuss peace terms at New Tyre. The Tyrians now were fired up from their earlier decision to rebuff Alexander, and so they killed the envoys Alexander sent and threw the bodies into the sea in full view of the Macedonians. Conflict between Tyre and Macedon was now inevitable. So, if you've been paying attention to the narrative thus far, you'll know that Alexander has disbanded most of his navy, only kept supply ships to cut costs. The invading Macedonian army was now encountering its most difficult task yet. Alexander assembled the army and spoke to them. He made his strategic concerns for taking Tyre known. He told them taking Tyre opened up the path to Egypt. It ended the threat of the Persian navy and would cut off the financial aid to the Spartans. The Spartans had gone from gumbling in the background to hesitantly taking steps to oppose the Macedonians. One of the Spartan kings, Aegis III, had sailed to meet Pharnabazus at the island of Cisnos, asking for aid in the effort against Macedon, looking for money and ships. Aegis had arrived at Cisnos shortly after Alexander had routed the Persians at Issus, and the mood was grim. Aegis received just 30 talents and 10 ships for the cause. The money and ships were sent back to Sparta, while Aegis hung around the Persian navy, hoping to receive more aid. The Greek mercenaries who had fought at Issus mostly survived, but had decided it was no longer in their best interests to serve the king of kings. We know that 12,000 of them split off. 8,000 of these mercenaries ended up joining the Spartan effort, while the other 4,000, led by an exiled Macedonian, sailed for Egypt to conquer it. First, by deception, claiming to be under the orders of Darius. The Persian forces in Egypt did not believe them, which led to conflict where the mercenaries were defeated and killed. Quite the ignominious end. Returning to the Macedonians, Alexander laid out the strategic plan to his men and reinforced it by telling them of a dream he had the night prior. In it, his ancestor, Heracles, took him by the hand and guided him through the city of Tyre. His interpretation of the dream being that the Macedonians would take the city, but that it required a great effort. Dare I say, a Herculean effort. Alexander would take the city or be damned. To make this dream a reality, Alexander's quip about making New Tyre part of the mainland would become a reality. To make this happen, Alexander had the army demolish the ruins of Old Tyre, reducing the buildings and temples into rubble. Further inland, the army rounded up the men of nearby towns and villages and conscripted them into the labor force. The conscripted men and soldiers would chop down the nearby cedar and timber trees. Using the men and supplies, Alexander had them create a mole or land bridge to cross the sea and get to the city of Tyre. At first, the construction was quite easy off the coast, and the men labored industrially. Alexander was quick to reward those who worked especially hard. 
The Tyrians could not believe what they were seeing as the Macedonians continued their seaward endeavor. At first, they came out on their ships and taunted the labor force as they worked, laughing at them. The humorous situation began to fade as the Macedonian labor crews doggedly persisted in their efforts, and the causeway began to reach the deeper waters of the Mediterranean. The Tyrians began to take the threat seriously and sent out ships to harass the Macedonians. Ships rode out to both sides of the causeway and began firing arrows and catapults at the defenseless workers. The rain of arrows and projectiles from the Tyrians incurred great casualties as the workers and Alexander were forced to flee to the mainland. To protect themselves, the Macedonians devised a protective canvas of animal hides to absorb the arrow fire. And at the end of the mole, two towers were created to allow the Macedonians the ability to retaliate when the Tyrians came out to assault the workers again. The Macedonians, again with the upper hand, continued to work on inching closer to New Tyre. The Tyrians upped the ante, and this time they brought out all transport ships and filled it with combustible materials, essentially creating a fire ship. The Tyrians dragged the fire ships with their triremes and then launched them forward towards the mole when a good gust of wind would allow. The fire ships hit the mole and burst into flames, destroying the towers made by the Macedonians and killing many men. While this happened, the Tyrians also landed a party of men on the shore and led a sortie, assaulting the laborers on land who were carrying the material needed for the workers on the mole. It was a devastating blow to the Macedonians, not just in the sheer cost of life, but in terms of morale. To add insult to injury, a storm also happened later that night, causing even more damage to the mole. All while this occurred, the men who worked to chop down the trees and those who were transporting them back to the Macedonian camp were being assaulted by Arab tribes who inhabited the region, causing a lack of material as well. This truly was the lowest point for the Macedonians, as their mole was essentially destroyed and the much-needed supplies were coming in at a snail's pace as the raiders harassed the Macedonian troops who were tasked with transporting the much-needed timber. Despite the setbacks, Alexander was undeterred and ordered the mole to be rebuilt. This time, it would be created wider and with more towers on the sides to maintain a proactive defense. Alexander realized this still did not solve the long-term issues he faced against the Tyrian superiority at sea, and he still needed to figure out a solution to his resource problem. So, in classic Alexander fashion, he devised two plans to eradicate the root issues of his problems. The first plan was to deal with the raiders, harassing his men as they attempted to bring the timber back to the laborers at camp. Alexander scouted out the location of the Arab tribes and led a night assault, catching them unawares. In this night assault, another anecdotal story comes to us of Alexander. In it, Alexander and some of his men fall behind the main strike force as Alexander's tutor, Lysimachus, attended the young king on this expedition. 
The older man found it difficult to maintain the marching speed of the rest of the unit. He began to fall behind, and Alexander would not abandon his tutor and stayed with him until the man collapsed from exhaustion. Alexander and his small group of men rested with Lysimachus, but as night crept upon them, it began to grow cold, and they had no means of making a fire. Seeing enemy camps in the distance, Alexander snuck upon an unsuspecting pair of watchmen, killing the two men with his dagger and taking a log of fire back with him to warm the camp and his ailing tutor. The second plan concocted by Alexander was simple. The Tyrians would always have the upper hand at sea, as Alexander did not have the naval might necessary to challenge them, as his soldiers and laborers worked on the mole. Alexander took a division of his soldiers and went north to the city of Sidon, capitalizing on the fact that the new king literally owed his position to the Macedonians. Alexander's second plan bore great fruit as he was in the city of Sidon. The other Phoenician cities lent him a total of 80 ships, a total coming from Sidon, Eridus, and Byblos. Rhodes would also send 10 ships, as did Lycia. In the aftermath of the Battle of the Granicus River, entire regions and cities defected to Alexander's side. And this was no different now, after the defeat of Darius at Issus. The kings on the island of Cyprus had heard of Darius' defeat. They now saw the speed of Alexander's movement south to down the Levant. They decided it was better to be on Alexander's good side, sending him a whopping 120 ships totaling 220 ships for Alexander. From 0 to 220 was quite a fabulous accomplishment for Alexander, dramatically changing the balance of power for the Macedonians in their siege of Tyre. Not only did Alexander receive ships, but an influx of mercenaries totaling around 4,000 men also joined him. With this, Alexander was ready to return to Tyre, and he sailed back down the coast with his new navy. Initially, the Tyrians set themselves up for a naval engagement, but upon seeing the overwhelming might of Alexander's navy, they withdrew back into their harbor. Most of the Tyrian ships were the Persian Armada and the Aegean. The Tyrians blocked off the harbor with transport ships to defend themselves from the enemy navy, but Alexander was content with simply neutralizing them. His navy would now rest on both sides of the mole and would mobilize during the day, sailing to both Tyrian harbors to blockade them in. But from here, they would not engage in actual naval combat. The new situation suited the Macedonians just fine. The needed supplies now came unencumbered, and the workers on the mole did not need to worry about the Tyrian ships assaulting them as they worked. The mole construction began to pick up some serious speed as they were able to work freely. With things looking up for the Macedonians, it seemed that the heavens again decided they would interfere with the construction project. A serious storm broke out once again and halted progress on the mole. Alexander and his men again were forced back to the shore. But Alexander, undeterred by man, would not capitulate to nature. The ships on Alexander's side brought out many logs and placed them on either side of the mole, and this seemed to block much of the damage to the mole. 
With damage minimized, the work continued until the mole was now within arrow fire distance from the walls of Tyre. What was once a laughable prospect had turned into a grim reality as the Tyrians became increasingly desperate to defend themselves from the Macedonians. Alexander was determined to breach the walls, and his mole came ever closer to the city. He began to bring out siege works to the edge of the mole, firing his catapults and arrows from the constructed towers. The barrage did its work as it made life miserable for the defenders on the wall. Now, in reverse of the earlier dynamic, it was the Tyrians who placed covers on the wall to absorb the impact of the Macedonian barrage and they built their own towers to fire arrows at the Macedonian ships that were assisting them bombarding the walls. The Tyrians fought on stubbornly and worked at lightning speed to repair the damaged walls and building sections of fortifications where damage on the walls was beyond repair. Alexander attempted to take the city by surprise one night, launching a naval assault in the dead of night. But once again, nature intervened. A sudden, violent storm forced the Macedonians back. The Tyrians, unnerved by this attempt, dumped large stones near the coastline, making it difficult for the ships to get close to the city. For every Macedonian action, there was a Tyrian reaction. Desperation made the Tyrians innovative, finding new ways to maintain their defenses however they could. Despite their desperate bout of innovation, ill tidings continued for them. First, envoys from Carthage arrived with bad news. They could not spare reinforcements as war demanded their time and resources. And secondly, at last, for the Macedonians, the mole had reached the Tyrian island. Months of work and hours of toiling had taken place for this moment to arrive. When Alexander arrived at Tyre, it had been the beginning months of 332 BC. It was now midsummer. This was the longest place the Macedonians had ever spent in one place since they arrived in Persia. Alexander had the stones cleared from the coastline, making it possible for the ships to close in again. The time had come. With the mole connecting from the mainland to Tyre, they could now launch a full assault on the walls. The ensuing assault was a brutal slog. The Macedonian ships continued their barrage against the walls of New Tyre, causing sections of the walls to collapse. The forces landed on shore and began their attempt to take the city, putting up ladders and climbing up the sections of the walls not caved in. The defenders of Tyre fought on determinedly meeting the assaulters head-on, fighting the grizzled Macedonian forces. The Tyrians managed to stem the Macedonian advance, and the Tyrians on top of the walls heated up containers of sand until they began to glow and dumped them on the soldiers below, getting underneath the armor and burning the soldiers' skin. The Tyrians had survived the ruthless assault on their walls, and at the end of the day, the Macedonians withdrew dejectedly, their spirits slow after the hard fighting with nothing to gain for it. 
It was at this point Alexander considered withdrawing from Tyre and continuing on to Egypt. Abandoning the siege attempt at this stage would cause more problems down the line than staying and continuing on course. So, the Macedonians prepared themselves for yet another assault. The Tyrians also prepared themselves for the assault, but decided on a surprise naval attack. Assaulting the ships blockading the northern harbor, the surprise attack was a success, catching the ships off guard, who were unprepared and uncrewed. The attack was so successful that it was poised to potentially alter the outcome of the siege. But it would not be the case. Alexander had noticed the attack and launched a surprise attack of his own against the Tyrians, shattering their fleet and forcing the survivors back into the harbor, where they could now do nothing but watch. Alexander continued on with the navy. He attempted to assault the north walls, but was rebuffed. Undaunted, he made his way around to the southern harbor, where he barraged a section of the walls until they collapsed in front of him. Alexander didn't push his advantage here. Instead, he returned to shore. The king decided to rest his army and wait for favorable weather to launch another assault. The Macedonians rested for three days before they launched another all-out assault against the Tyrians. A squadron led by Alexander attacked the southern harbor's walls again, launching barrage after barrage until their initial breach widened even further. It wasn't just the southern harbor under assault. The northern harbor and the forces on the Mall also led assaults on their sections of walls, dividing up the defenders. At the southern harbor, the Macedonians found their first taste of success. Alexander and his Hypaspis attacked the southern breach, followed by Craterus and his regiment of the Phalanx. The assault led by the Macedonians made their prior attempt look like a day at the beach. The fighting at the southern harbor was a bloody affair. The Tyrians forced the Macedonians to earn every inch of ground they gained, and the captain of the Hypaspis had his head split open in the melee by either an axe or sword. Still, the point stands. This was a violent melee. The angry Macedonians forced to siege the city for eight months, and the desperate defenders of Tyre fighting for dear life, attempting to push back the invading soldiers. The overwhelming might of the Macedonians shone through, and all assaulting forces managed to overcome the defenders and gain access to the city. From Alexander's forces in the southern wall to the navy assaulting the harbors and the main force of the army attacking from the direction of the mole. The defenders withdrew to the center of the city, where they faced the Macedonians in a last-stand effort, but to no avail. They fought valiantly and desperately, but in the end, the defenders were cut down to a man. A casualty estimate gives us 8,000 men died in the fighting, and a further 2,000 were crucified, and the remainder of the survivors were sold into slavery. After the defenders had been cut down, Alexander allowed his men off the leash. A brutal sacking of the city occurred. Typically, a siege lasting this long results in a brutal sacking, 
But you have to factor in all the additional work put into the seeds, creating the mole, the labor crews who had worked brutally long shifts moving rocks and trees, and the suffering they endured as they worked on the mole. All of this, including the sheer length of time it took, resulted in a bloodbath. The Sidonian allies took pity on their kin. They took 15,000 citizens back to Sidon, saving their lives and avoiding slavery in the process. Like I mentioned before, it had been the beginning of 332 BC when they arrived at Tyre, and it was now August. Alexander celebrated his victory and sacrificed at the Temple of Melkart, fulfilling the wish Alexander had asked for all the way back in the beginning. At Tyre, a monument to Alexander's siege exists for us today. The mole built by the Macedonian army remains today, fused from the mainland to the island city. As time passed, the mole eventually became a part of the land, creating an actual pathway that remains to this day, fulfilling Alexander's oath of making Tyre a part of the mainland. It's a physical remnant today we can see tracing the actions that took place over 2,300 years ago. We'll leave it here today with Alexander in the city of Tyre, ready to move on towards the ancient lands of the pharaohs of Egypt. Also, I have big news for all you listeners. In the near future, I'll be releasing an interview episode with Dr. Mark Lowell, a professor of classical history from the University of Manitoba. It was a huge honor to have him on the show, and I'm looking forward to releasing that episode for you. I have maps on Instagram, so you can see that at pinpoint underscore history, and you can email me at thepinpointhistory at gmail.com with any questions you may have. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, let's get it. <laughs>